And this week we have Karma Ruskadella. Um, but before that, uh, I'm going to give a very, very brief summary of the uh, work that we discussed in class, the equation of the week, and then I'm going to turn it over to Harold to give a more detailed introduction to some of the science behind uh, the lecture. So um, I think uh, John is actually preparing something that uh, Harold will tell us about. Um, very sophisticated, he says. I'm glad he's doing it, I'm not. Um, it has to do, Harold, do you want to say briefly what it is? It's uh, sugar and water in a pan with heat. <laughs> and what we want to discuss is the Browning reaction. Harold will tell you that. I want to tell you a little bit, just briefly, how to think about the reactions, how to think about reaction rates from a more, a slightly more quantitative uh, perspective. Uh, and that allows us, of course, to have our usual equation of the week. Um, so to understand it, um, I go back to something that we heard about both uh, in lectures several weeks ago and in the lecture last week. What we talked about several weeks ago was the um, Reaction rate. I'm not sure why these uh, slides are so poorly. The aspect ratio you've got uh, a little wrong, but uh, this one is going to have a. Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, the this is. Remember, we had this reaction, uh, the the uh, energy diagram, where we talked about the energy of interaction between two particles. Um, and we plotted it as a function of separation. And if there's thermal energy, this particle literally can rattle around in this well. And every once in a while, it can overcome this and break free. And that's what causes some separation of particles. And last week, uh, Greg Verdine uh, generalized this and said, well, we don't really have to think just about separations. We can think more generally about some reaction coordinates just some way of describing some chemical reaction. Um, and this is a very, uh, a much more general perspective, but we don't really need to understand the details. We can think of it just like a reaction, uh, like a separation of particles, but it can be a lot of different types of things, um, all of which can be highlighted under reaction coordinate. For example, um, we can plot something slightly different that we also talked about, uh, in fact, Harold talked about uh, at the beginning of this class, he talked about uh, the uh, making of cheese, about the casein micelles in uh, milk. Normally, casein micelles are highly charged, they're repulsive, and they, uh, when they come close to each other, they repel one another. Um, but eventually, sometimes, they can overcome this repulsive barrier and approach one another. So now we draw it in this reaction coordinate. If we had drawn the energy uh, diagram, it would have been drawn, and I'll do that. In fact, I'll just draw on this slide the equivalent of the energy diagram. The energy diagram might have looked like this, where there's some energy barrier. In this case, it's the same thing, but now we turn it around and just talk about what happens very generically as some reaction coordinate. Um, and so as they approach, they can 
come closer, and eventually, sometimes they can overcome this barrier and actually stick together. Now, this rarely, rarely happens with uh, casein myocells in milk, but if you add acid or uh, add enzymes, you lower this reaction barrier, and that allows the casein myocells to come together much more easily because now there is a much smaller uh, energy barrier. And this energy barrier is something that we have to think about and we have to understand. The other thing we have to be aware of is how often these two micelles actually try to come close together or spread apart. That depends on things like in the case of casein micelles on their diffusion. If you change the diffusion coefficient, you change the uh, rate at which they collide. So here they're moving fairly slowly. They collide a couple of times. If they move much more rapidly, then they can collide many more times. It happens much more frequently. Uh, so how to understand this? Well, if you think now, go back and look at this case where there's some energy barrier as depicted by this uh, reaction uh, coordinate diagram, you can think of them coming close and they have some thermal energy. They stay in here, but every once in a while they can overcome this barrier. How likely is it that they overcome the barrier? That depends on the height of the barrier, which is the difference in energy from where they start to the top of the barrier, and the amount of energy they have, and the thermal energy. And it depends exponentially on the ratio of this reaction, this uh, 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 energy barrier, and the thermal energy that they have. And this is an exponential function. An exponential function looks like this. So when <clears throat> this is uh, very low, when the energy barrier is essentially zero, then the probability of overcoming that is one. They always overcome it. Anytime they try, they overcome it. But as the energy barrier gets larger, the temperature gets lower, then the probability decreases in this exponential fashion. And so there are two effects. There's this exponential term, and there's this rate term that tells you how often they try, how often they probe the energy barrier. And together, you have the ultimate uh, 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 probability of over overcoming this reaction uh, coordinate, or uh, the probability of the reaction taking place, which is this initial rate and this exponential term. And that's the equation of the week. So what we're watching here when we look at this browning reaction, that happens more easily when you heat it up. And so you can look, a higher temperature makes the probability higher, a higher energy barrier makes it, uh, makes it lower. And if we think about enzymatic reactions, enzymes have the effect of lowering the energy barrier. Any kind of catalyst lowers the energy barrier. And this is the sort of thing, then, that we can use to understand quantitatively, uh, if it's possible, something like the Browning reaction, which, Harold, I think you're going to tell us about now. Yes. All right. So, uh, NLC, can you smell anything in the back of the room yet? Yeah, OK. So we don't need the fan. We're going to blow the aroma out there. Uh, we did this at the very beginning of the course, the very first lecture. Um, uh, how many of you were here for the first public lecture? 
Good, 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 good. Uh, well, apologies then for repeating a demonstration, <clears throat> but it's delicious. And for me, uh, caramelization, which is one of the subjects of, uh, of this week in class, is um, uh, the prime example of the alchemy of cooking. Because you start out with sugar, one um, compound that has no aroma whatsoever, and you put it in a pan and a little water to kind of melt it, get it uh, fluid, turn on the heat, and in 10 minutes, you've got uh, not just sugar, but now hundreds, if not thousands, of different new molecules, many of which have aroma, many of which have other kinds of taste, not just sweetness, but sourness and bitterness and saltiness and umami. Uh, and you get that color. You get pigments, uh, all from one molecule plus heat. So to me, that's, that's the, the epitome of the magic of cooking. And the great thing, of course, about food is that we don't just have sugar to work with. We've got lots and lots of things with which we can uh, affect that kind of transformation. So what I want to do is tell you very quickly uh, what we've talked about in class in order to get ready for uh, Chef Ruscalleta's presentation on, uh, on browning and on caramelization. Uh, and I apologize because my voice may give out. Uh, all I can say is that I arrived a couple of days before the weekend, and I'm from California. <clears throat> so I've, I've had a head cold ever since. Um, anyway, we've, we started out by talking about what it is that, that um, taste and smell are. Taste and smell, which give us all the, the pleasure in food, are chemical senses. They're senses by which we detect the chemical composition of things in our mouth, but also in the case of smell, things around us, uh, things in the, the environment. Taste, we have five basic tastes. And um, uh, it was long thought that there was a, a kind of map of the tongue, that we tasted different tastes on different parts of the tongue. Turns out that's not the case. Uh, this is a very recent review of the literature, and you can taste everything wherever you have uh, taste buds. Uh, so that's taste. Uh, smell is different. Smell is, of course, in the nose. Smell doesn't detect things that are water-soluble the way taste does. It detects things that are volatile, molecules that can fly through, through the air from something into our nose so that they can be detected up here. Uh, and that's very important. It's a very different class of chemicals. We have the ability to detect thousands and thousands of, um, of volatile molecules. Maybe we don't have thousands and thousands of different sensations, the way we have five basic tastes. We have maybe hundreds of different uh, odor sensations. And that's a good thing because foods, it turns out, uh, contain single foods contain hundreds of different aroma molecules. So this is uh, a catalog of the most important, and not uh, all of them, but just the most important aroma molecules in strawberries. Ripe fruits have hundreds and hundreds of different compounds that contribute to their flavor. And uh, cooked foods do as well. Some foods are simpler. Uh, things like spices tend to have one or two dominant molecules, but most foods uh, are much more complicated than that. Now, given the fact that uh, foods are so complicated chemically, how do you begin to get a handle on that? How do you begin to think about it and analyze it? 
Well, you can you know, list the chemicals the way that previous page did, but that's not very useful because it's just a list of uh, meaningless, for most of us, uh, names. So what uh, flavor chemists have begun to do is to kind of organize the space of flavors in categories that make sense, maybe not from a chemical perspective, at least at, at first glance, but from an experiential perspective, because we, we label these, uh, the aromas of these particular molecules by the foods in which we find them. And so that's what we have here, categories like, let's see, which end does this come out of? Uh, <laughs> ah, okay, yes, that one I remember, yes. Um, so green and grassy aromas, fruity, um, and you see ester-like, that's because that is a particular class of chemicals that you tend to find in that category. And then citrus, same thing, uh, particular kinds of molecules, minty, floral, spicy, woody, roasty, caramel, bouillon, meaty, fatty, dairy, mushroom, celery, sulfurous. And different um, flavor wheels can be uh, categorized differently depending on who's making them up. This is kind of an arbitrary system. But it's a way of organizing the different kinds of flavors that you experience in foods. Um, and this is a, a more consumer-friendly version of that previous slide. Because rather than showing chemical structures, it shows the kinds of uh, foods that you find these particular flavor notes in as dominant, um, uh, dominant notes. So you can, th this is from uh, the wine industry, and uh, I don't know whether it's good news or bad news that uh, wine people who claim that they can smell lots and lots of different things in a wine are actually uh, onto something because there are lots and lots of different aroma molecules in wine, and depending on your training, and how interested you are, you can detect more and more of them. It just takes work. And so this is a, a wheel that wine professionals use to begin to familiarize themselves with the hundreds of different compounds that you find in wines. So, uh, run up to the real subjects, caramelization and the browning reactions. So caramelization, as I say, is this amazing transformation where you start with one molecule, you add heat, and you end up with uh, hundreds and hundreds of new molecules. Some of them are taste molecules, sugars and acids and bitter compounds that weren't there before. So if you taste caramel like that, um, it'll have a sweet and sour character. Even though you started with sugar, it's got acids in it now. Uh, and then the pigments that make it brown, and then aroma molecules. And aroma molecules coming off of a, a caramelization reaction tend to concentrate in a couple of different sectors in uh, the flavor molecule wheel. One is the, not surprisingly, caramel sector. These are the kinds of compounds that you get in largest quantities off of that kind of reaction, and they, they have a very distinctive uh, quality to them. You can't really reduce caramel flavor to other things, although there are other things going on in caramel besides caramel. Uh, and one of those things that's in there that's really fortuitous is this molecule, diacetyl, which is uh, a very characteristic note in dairy products. It's really the characteristic note of butter. 
And if you get uh, popcorn at the movie theater and you ask for uh, butter, what you're getting usually is oil with a lot of that molecule in it. And uh, microwave popcorn, even if, it, even if it doesn't have butter, they make it smell buttery by adding that particular compound to it. So that's, that's uh, uh, the essence of butteriness. And it turns out that one of the first products of the caramelization reaction is diacetyl. And so it's no surprise that caramel candies, for example, are made with milk and cream. It's because there's this, uh, this bridge to these, between these two different kinds of foods that uh, uh, makes um, a, a wonderful connection between them, and it just it works really well. It also turns out, of course, that milk and cream have lactose, a sugar, uh, in them, and when you brown milk or cream by itself, you generate some of the uh, caramelization reaction products. So there's this, uh, this wonderful synergy between the two, dairy products and caramel. Uh, Maillard reactions are a little bit different. Maillard reactions are what you would get if you, uh, to that pan of sugar, added amino acids or proteins, something like, um, you know, uh, um, uh, non-fat uh, milk. Uh, you, you end up with reactions then between the sugars and the proteins, and it turns out that these two molecules will kind of fall apart into lots of other molecules on their own, but each, when they're together, lowers the uh, activation energy for that transformation reaction, so that they happen at lower temperatures and they proceed further at a given temperature. And that's part of the reason that uh, you'll get, for example, caramelization to take place only above 300 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, 150 or so Celsius, but you can get browning to take place very easily um, on the surface of a roast in an oven at 300 degrees or, or even lower than that. Uh, and in fact, uh, most uh, foods that we're familiar with whose flavor comes mostly from the Maillard browning reactions are foods that we cook at, at high temperatures because those uh, flavors are produced very quickly over the course of minutes to maybe an hour or two. But it turns out that if you let that kind of reaction go, sugars and proteins together for hours or days or months, you can get the same reactions to take place at, um, at uh, room temperature. So dry cured hams, like uh, the great dry, uh, dry cured hams of Spain, have as part of their flavor, browning reaction products. And it really distinguishes them because they're aged for a couple of years, two or three years. It takes that long for those flavors to develop. Prosciutto, which is aged for a much shorter time, doesn't have that layer of layer. Um, unaged champagne, I'm sorry, aged champagne. Champagne that sits in the cellar for years and years. It's cold down there, but there are enough sugars and proteins left over from the yeasts that uh, over time, of course, they turn yellowish brown and they develop a nutty kind of flavor. And it turns out that, uh, there we go, um, these same reactions take place in the body. So I've shown here Louis Camille Maillard who discovered these reactions when he was a young man, as a young man, and then as a, as a sort of eminent uh, professor. Uh, over the course of that time, 
Maillard reactions were taking place inside his body, and that's part of the aging process. Part of the reason that our proteins begin not to do such a good job is that they react with glucose in our bloodstream and the proteins become less effective. That's one of the reasons that having a high blood sugar is a bad idea, because that kind of thing happens more, and it's not, not uh, a good thing in the long term. Uh, the other thing to mention about the Maillard reactions is rather than just being concentrated in the caramel sector and the dairy sector, uh, Maillard reactions actually produce molecules in all of these different sectors. They produce a tremendous range of uh, flavor molecules, and that's part of the reason that uh, the results of these reactions are so delicious. And in fact, the prototypical Maillard reaction food is chocolate. That's what raw cacao beans look like. They're really nasty. They're, uh, they have no aroma whatsoever. They're extremely bitter and they're extremely astringent. No, nothing else uh, to recommend them whatsoever. And yet, over the course of the processing, they go through tremendous transformations by way of the Maillard reactions, and you end up with this. So Maillard reactions make chocolate. Uh, now, uh, talked about reactions uh, making these molecules. That's all well and good, but uh, it takes a great chef to make these reactions into a memorable kind of experience for us as eaters. And we're very lucky today to have a great chef with us, Carme Ruscalleda, who uh, has a uh, started uh, in the food business, I think, in 1975, opened a restaurant uh, in Catalonia in 1988 in her home, hometown, and now has uh, six Michelin stars uh, spread over three restaurants. So we're very lucky to have her here. I've never had the good luck to eat at her restaurant, but I've heard a lot about it from chefs all over the world, and uh, she's uh, greatly admired and respected. So, Carme. Thank you. Thank you very much. Welcome. Bé, hem portat unes imatges per explicar, per desgranar tot aquest treball que hem fet aquest any, una altra vegada seguint les reaccions de Mallard. We brought some images to show you a little bit the work that we've done this year and again to discuss the Mallard reaction. Per tant, ara en Jerome Angelesina, he vingut acompanyada, mira, us ho presentava més tard, però us ho presento ja ara, vinc acompanyada amb Jerome Quilbef, que és part important de de la direcció i de l'estaf de la casa. And I came with uh, Jérôme Gilbert, that uh, I wanted to introduce him later, but here he is, and it's a big part of, uh, you know, my restaurant. Per tant, comencem amb la primera imatge. La primera imatge, doncs, ens centra en Mediterrània, a un lloc, doncs, d'una producció d'horta, de mar i de muntanya. Okay, and uh, the first image, you know, centers us in Catalonia, uh, our home, and uh, a place where there is a production from the ocean, from the mountains, and from the vegetable garden. Una imatge que volem també que traspulli a dins de la sala, que el client se n'adongui a on està situat. Per tant, aquest mar el trobarà després al plat. Per això ens interessa tant que tot sí que entri, fins i tot amb el detall de les flors a taula. 
and uh, you know we hope that that uh, that background goes into our enters the dining room you know with uh, you know all the culture and the background that we discuss and even to the little details like the flowers in, on our tables practiquem una cuina molt a cavall de la naturalesa we, uh, per això necessitem doncs un equip tan nombrós perquè pugui fer un treball tan detallat that uh, our job is very detailed and it's a big part of, you know, reflection on nature. So that's why we have such a big staff, you know, because we have a very meticulous, precise work. Un equip que també treballa, doncs, amb aquests, amb aquests vitralls, amb aquestes vidres que també ens, ens entronquen amb el fora, amb aquest jardí i amb aquest mar. And the cuisine is surrounded by glass, so in a way it's part of the surrounding landscape. Un equip que naturalment passa moltes hores a la casa i a unes hores que també doncs, comparteix dinars i sopars, uns dinars i sopars que també ens plantegem que siguin doncs, molt naturals, menjar molt variats, que no només sigui la cuina nostra, supervivència, la cuina de l'estaf, vull dir. And it's a, like a very big staff and we spend lots of hours together, you know, and we eat together uh, staff meals or family meals, if we, we can call them that. And, uh, you know, the meals, we want to do a variety of foods. We don't want them to eat or, you know, to eat just what we serve. Per això presentarem, doncs, el treball que hem fet aquest any, uh, arrel, doncs, de, de la invitació per venir una altra vegada a Harvard, i per uh, treballar la reacció de Mallard, que nosaltres la plantegem, la reacció no ens la plantegem de manera científica, sinó per buscar aquell punt de gust que cerquem a l'aliment. And uh, so we're going to discuss a little bit the work that we've done this year, especially knowing that we had to be here at Harvard and talk about the Maillard reaction. And, uh, you know, that's our work this year. Us presentem el que per nosaltres és un micromenú d'aperitiu, on moltes vegades hem fet inspiracions, ens hem inspirat en pintors, ens hem inspirat en comptes infantils. En aquest cas portem tot un temps inspirats en colors that we're going to introduce you to our micro-menu, and for a while we've been inspired by painters, by artists, but lately we've been very much inspired by colors. El micro-menú d'aperitiu naturalment doncs, es serveix a l'inici, i en diem micro-menú perquè els quatre aperitius formen part ben bé com un menú. Hi ha un entrant, hi ha un primer, hi ha un segon, hi ha unes postres. Les postres naturalment salpebrades. The micro-menu serve at the beginning of a meal and it's almost like a mini meal. We have a first course, we have an appetizer, first course, second course and dessert. And obviously for dessert we use a little bit of salt and pepper. Cada mes canvia el micro-menú, cada dia o de mes el canviem. Per tant, ara portem ja uns mesos treballant els colors. Hem fet el rosa, hem fet el roig, hem fet el verd that we change the menu at the first of each month and, uh, you know, invariably the first of each month and we've been using different colors in different menus. We've used pink, we've used red hem and fet green. Hem fet també el blau, el violeta, el groc. Blue, violet, yellow. I el blanc. And white. Per tant, ens reservàvem pel mes d'octubre el color marron per l'emmarroniment, per l'efecte mallar. And we've reserved brown for the month of October for browning and the mallar reaction. 
Tots els colors sempre val a dir que no utilitzem colorants. Quan hem treballat, per exemple, el blau o quan hem treballat el violeta, sempre hem cercat a la naturalesa el color. Mai hem anat a cercar un color sintètic de bomboneria, per exemple. Sempre a cavall de la natura, de l'aliment. Avui usem natural colors i no usem colors artificials o confeccionals perquè volem portar una peça de natura a la plata. Ho teníem més fàcil amb la reacció de Mallard, que es tracta, naturalment, de buscar aquell aliment i portar-lo al límit del color marró per aconseguir un gust agradable. És més fàcil amb la Mallard reacció, perquè el que fem és que portem aquest producte al límit en termes de portar un gust agradable. Però abans de començar aquests aperitius, us presentarem els productes que hem utilitzat, que són productes molt senzills, productes molt pobres, que portats a la reacció de Mallard esdevenen productes molt gourmets, molt interessants. Però abans, per cada dia, el que vam fer és que vam introduir els ingredients que vam fer per cada dia. Aquests ingredients són molt ingredients humils, que vam portar, en la nostra elaboració, vam portar a un nivell diferent to a more sophisticated level. Per tant, per exemple, parlarem d'un senzill all, que l'all és un producte ben econòmic, i en canvi portat al límit d'arròs amb el ros fins i tot a negre és una cosa interessantíssima, és un producte interessantíssim. Per exemple, un dels exemples és el garlic. El garlic és un producte molt humil, inexpensiu, produce and what we do is by browning it we bring it to a different level you know and a different type of taste more sophisticated more subtle taste per tant el tenim en aquest cas blanc i el tenim doncs ja a continuació daurat in this case we have it white and then you'll see it brown or you know golden el mateix cas passaria amb uns pinyons uns pinyons doncs que és aquest producte salvatge i tan mediterrani en un estat blanc que podria ser sencer juliana o picat. I el mateix amb els pinats, que és el producte essencial mediterrània. I el que fem és que ho portem a un altre nivell i podem grounar-lo, julianar-lo, podem fer diferents coses amb ell. Que no té res a veure amb un pinyó torrat, ja només amb l'aspecte i amb el sabor. It doesn't have anything to do with a toasted uh, pine nut. It's completely different in, in flavor and in uh, appearance as well. Un altre producte que també doncs, sofreix un canvi doncs, molt interessant és un pa integral. Un pa integral que ja per si sol ja, és un, ja té un punt ros perquè els, els productes doncs, de la pell ja el fa negre. Un altre element que undergoes aquesta transformació és el whole bread. Whole bread because you know per se it has already like a like an off color you know it doesn't have a white color but a little off due to the different ingredients that are used in it. Però una altra vegada transforma ja el sabor. Un producte que ja és complex de sabor perquè té tota la pell del gra torrat encara ens transforma i encara es dimensiona molt més el sabor per l'efecte aquest del torrat. I quan ho tostem, doncs la dimensió s'increixes immensament i va de una cosa molt humil a una cosa més sofisticada. El mateix passa amb un altre producte molt senzill, molt econòmic, com és la pasta, un producte consumit per tot el món, una pasta seca. Another one that everybody consumes and it's world famous, it's pasta. And we start with dry pasta. Que es transforma si aquesta pasta abans de cuinar-la ja la rossegem, ja la fem rossa. Then before cooking it, we just brown it. 
El mateix passa també amb uns vegetals, uns vegetals que per si sols se'ns podrien donar un resultat molt claret, molt diàfan, quasi bé transparent. The same thing would happen with vegetables, that without doing anything to them, we would have a very clear, transparent result. Que en canvi en podem extreure uns caramelitzats per la pròpia cocció d'aquests vegetals. And then we can extract caramel flavors just by cooking them, browning them. O el mateix d'un producte com és una farina blanca de blat. The same thing with a product like a white wheat flour. O una farina de blat ja portada a un punt torrat directe, només torrada, sense afegir-hi cap altre ingredient. Or the same thing but toasted, without adding any other ingredient. El mateix passa amb una altra farina, una farina d'ametlla, molta, blanca. The same thing happens with another ingredient, like in this case is ground almond flour. which is white at the beginning. O la mateixa farina ja portada al punt torrat, res a veure de sabor, d'aroma. And then the same thing happens, you know, when you toast it, it doesn't have anything to do with the original one in terms of looks and in terms of aroma. Per tant, una vegada presentats ja aquests productes tan senzills, anirem a confeccionar aquestes quatre etapes. Then once introduced all these very simple ingredients, we are going to make these four tapas. Començarem amb la primera. La primera és una tapa que està pensada per prendre-la amb els dits. The first tapa is something that it's meant to be eaten using your fingers. L'hem titulada all daurat i pinyons torrats. We call it golden garlic and toasted pine nuts. Evidentment que hem de tenir molta cura perquè no podem pas oferir en començar un àpat un all que si ens passem de la ratlla fem malbé ja totes les papiles i no desfrutaries després del que va darrere. Per tant, s'ha de mesurar molt bé la quantitat d'all. We have to be very careful because we don't want to give people a very strong flavor of garlic in the first course, in the first thing that they try in a restaurant because we want to take good care of their taste buds and they can enjoy the meal. Volem aconseguir una crema d'all molt suau, molt elegant, però que tingui tota la personalitat. We want to make a garlic cream that it's very elegant and with lots of flavors and and lots of personality as well. I precisament l'efecte mallar, el portar l'all al punt torrat, la mansirà de la rabió que té quan l'all, quan l'all és cru. And by by doing the mallar reaction with garlic, what we're going to do is we're going to make the garlic a little milder then it would be without that. Presentarem, doncs, el bodegó per fer aquesta crema d'all, aquesta crema d'all, doncs, poc agressiva. I'm going to introduce here, we're going to call these slides still natures, still natures with all the, that's the word that she's using in Spanish, with all the different ingredients for this dish. Per tant, senzillament porta pinyons, porta all, porta aigua, porta oli. So in this case, garlic, pine nuts, water, and olive oil. Començarem treballant aquests talls, els alls, amb l'oli, per enrossir-lo, per arribar a un punt elegant, un punt que no piqui, un punt que sigui un aroma molt dolça, quasi bé de caramel. What we're going to do is we're going to use some minced garlic and we're going to start browning it, but to a point that it's very flavorful and very elegant, but it doesn't impede your taste buds and there's no piquancy to it. Quan arribem a aquest punt, que seria el ros, és quan ja el tenim al punt i ho reservem. Once it gets to this point, let's call it golden, you know, then we're going to take it out and reserve the garlic. I el mateix fem amb els pinyons. També els passem per la paella i també aconseguim un ros, un ros perfumat. El pinyó és tan escandalós com l'all quan torra. 
And then uh, we do the same thing with pine nuts. We'll, uh, we saute them and uh, to get exactly the same, uh, the same taste, a very elegant taste. And you have to remember that when you toast uh, pine nuts, they have almost the same flavor or the same potency as garlic. They are extremely flavorful and perfumed. A continuació ja hem de procedir només ja a triturar, a triturar aquests elements. Els elements per tenir la idea de, de la mesura de la mesura de l'all. So what we're going to do next is to ground all these ingredients. Uh, we're going, you know. Són 5 grams de l'all ros so, so there are 5 uh, grams of the golden garlic. 20 grams de l'oli perfumat d'all. 20 grams of the olive oil perfume with the garlic. 100 d'aigua, aigua mineral, sempre parlem d'una aigua molt neta. 100 grams? 100 grams, sí. 100 uh, grams of water, we're talking about still water, water that's very pure. I 15 grams d'aquests pinyons torrats. And 15 grams of the toasted pine nuts. Molt triturat, molt triturat, i aconseguim, aconseguim una crema eh, quasi bé lletosa, és com una, sembla una crema de llet, perquè és clar, el producte, el producte del pinyó és molt, és molt cremós, és molt gras. Then what we do is like we, we puree it and uh, you know, we ground it and ground it to the point that we get that very, very smooth cream, a cream that is very milky because you have to remember that pine nuts have lots of fat. Sense colar, ho reservem amb uns molles de silicona. Without uh, straining it, we reserve it or we pour it into some seal pad uh, molds. I ja procedim a, a batir-ho, a congelar-ho, a ultra congelar-ho ràpidament. And then what we do is we freeze it immediately. Una vegada el tenim doncs, ja abatit, ja abatut i ben ferm, cal punxar-ho, punxar-ho amb un escuradents per procedir després a la manipulació de crear-hi una pell. And then what we do, you know, once it's, you know, well stirred and, and frozen, then what we do is we stick a little stick uh, so then we can manipulate it and use it in the way that we want. Sempre reservem congelat, s'entén? Always, always, we keep it frozen, yes. Per tant, ara tenim ja el sabor, volem empallar-ho per tenir la, a la boca la, aquesta cullerada de cop. Cal crear una pell amb una gelatina vegetal al 5%. Per tant, doncs aquesta gelatina vegetal serien 100 grams d'aigua, 5 de gelatina i sal i pebre. So, now that we have the core, what we want, and, and the cream inside, and exactly the way that we want, what we have to do is we have to build a, a skin, like a shell. And in this case, what we're going to do is we're going to use a, uh, a vegetable uh, gelatin, and uh, we use five grams of gelatin per uh, 100 grams of water. Estem parlant d'una gelatina vegetal que amb contacte fred calent de seguida s'empella i crea una pel·lícula. We're talking about a vegetable gelatin that in the contact between hot and cold all, you know, firms up and creates like a skin. Per tant, aquesta gelatina l'arrenquem a bullir, ha d'arrencar el bull. So we bring, it, we bring the gelatin to a boil. Uh, una vegada la tenim que ha arrencat el bull, controlem una temperatura de 65-66 graus. And then once it's boiling, we control we, the temperature, which should be around 65-66 degrees Celsius. I aquella crema que teníem doncs, congelada i amb, el, i amb el palillo, li apliquem un bany. And then with that cream that we had with the stick, and then we bath it. Li apliquem, li apliquem un segon bany. A second bath. Per crear doncs, aquesta pell a la mida. To create that, uh, that skin, that shell. 
i ja reservem, reservem ja a temperatura ambient per recuperar aquella crema que hem fet anteriorment. And then we keep it at, we keep it at room temperature to get that creaminess inside that we made at the beginning. Aquesta tapa mereix a sota un sostenidor, un recipient que puguis agafar-la amb el dit, per tant necessitem aquell pa que hem ensellat ja abans integral. Obviously the tapa needs something to hold it, something to hold it with your fingers, so that's the bread, the whole bread that we discussed before. Aquest pa el torrarem, el torrarem a una temperatura de 160 graus fins a aconseguir un torrat. So we're going to toast the bread at a temperature of 160 degrees Celsius, a part, també torrem uns pinyons, uns pinyons que els torrem amb una mica d'oli d'oliva i també sal. And then we're going to toast some pinyons again with a little bit of olive oil and a pinch of salt. Fins a aconseguir un daurat, doncs, un daurat que no sigui cremat, un daurat elegant i uniforme. So to get like a toasted color that is elegant and uniform. Naturalment, reservem, perquè si hem aconseguit aquest punt cruixent, no el perdrem ambient, caldrà una vegada fred reservar-ho. And then once they are cold, what we do is we put it in a can or in a container because we don't want to lose the crunchiness of the peanuts. I ja podem procedir a muntar la tapa, per tant, sobre un platet net. And then what we can do is like plate the tapa. Posem ja la torrada. With a clean spoon, we put the el pa torrat, sobre el pa torrat hi posem oli d'oliva. Olive oil. I afegim després una mica de sal maldon. A little bit of molden salt. I col·loquem el bombó, aquest bombó que hem fet d'all a temperatura ambient i ben cremós. And then we put on top the bonbon, to call it that way, garlic bonbon at room temperature. I afegim dos pinyons torrats al costat. Two toasted pine nuts next to it. I tornem a posar un punt de sal al cim i tenim ja la tapa per agafar, per a la boca esclatar i trobar tots aquests sabors de l'all, del pa, del pinyó. And then we put a little bit of salt at the end and then the tapa is already ready so it can explode in your mouth and you can have all these tastes, the garlic, the bread, the pine nuts. Bé, la segona tapa, la segona tapa. The second tapa. La segona etapa, que són uns fideus rossejats amb llagostí, aquesta ja és ben bé de cultura marinera, seria un menjar de bordo. The second one, it's pasta, in this case it's angel hair, toasted with shrimp. And this dish has a maritime sailor origin and it would be cooked aboard a boat. Naturalment, doncs, qui hem fet més treballs nosaltres de mallar. Aquest seria un treball de bordo tot en una cassola. El nostre serà treballat per separat perquè després la mossegada sigui molt més explosiva i molt més densa a la boca. Obviously, on board they would just use one pen and they would do everything together. Ourselves, we're going to deconstruct a little bit the steps and do one by one so you have a denser taste at the end. Encara que hi hagi un llagostí, el que treballarem més principalment serà arribar al mallar del vegetal. Els fideus seran semi-vegetals, perquè hi haurà pasta i hi haurà fideu. I a més a més, el brou també serà vegetal i hi haurà també una demi-glas que farem vegetal, encara que hi hagi el llagostí. Even if we use shrimp, it's almost like the center, the star of the dish are vegetables, because what we do with the vegetables, we treat them to a mallar reaction and we use that plus 
vegetable broth and uh, everything, you know, it's almost like a quasi-vegetarian dish in a way. Per tant, començarem per fer una, una demi-glace, una demi-glace que generalment estem acostumats a prendre una demi-glace de carn o de peix, que és aquella salsa tan fosca, quasi bé com un mirall, eh, molt i molt eh, neta i, i, i quasi bé de color xocolata, però la farem amb vegetals. The, so we're going to start making a demi-glace, and demi-glace, as you know, traditionally is made with meat or fish, and uh, it's a reduction sauce, and at the end it becomes very, very dark, it's almost like a mirror, and uh, it's so clean, but uh, very dark, almost the color of chocolate. But in this case, we're going to do it with vegetables. So here we have our, our still life again. Per tant, doncs, tenim el buquet vegetal, els porros, la pastanaga, la ceba, el tomàquet, l'aigua i una mica de xerès per perfumar i per recollir caramelitzats. Ara ho veurem. And then here we have the vegetables, which are carrots, leeks, uh, onions, tomatoes. Uh, again, water and a little bit of sherry, so at the end it helps, you know, decaramelize and pick up all the flavors. Començarem, doncs, per treballar-ho, el vegetal tallat, doncs, de manera uniforme, sense el tomàquet. So we're going to start cooking the vegetables cut in uniform pieces without the tomatoes. Continuarem, continuarem, doncs, treballant-ho, enrossint-ho. We're going to keep uh, roasting it, you know, little by little. Fins a que arriba el moment d'afegir-hi el tomàquet, que el tomàquet, ens, com que és aquós, ens netejarà ja caramelitzats, enganxats al fons d'aquesta olla. And then, at, and then at this point we use the tomatoes, since tomatoes has, contains lots of water, it's going to help us to decaramelize the pan and pick up all the flavors. Then Continuarem el sofregit per afegir-hi ja el xerès. We're going to keep uh, working on the sofrito and uh, to add, uh, at this point, uh, the sherry, uh, you know, the dry sherry wine. Serà el moment ja de posar-hi l'aigua, una aigua mineral, una aigua bona. At this time, it's the time to add the water, uh, still water, always, you know, clear, pure water. I ho deixarem bullir molt lentament quatre hores. And we'll leave that uh, boiling very, very, you know, simmering, simmering very, very slowly for four hours. Colem. I'm going to strain it. I anem reduint. Then we reduce it. Continuem reduint. We keep reducing it. Continuem reduint. And we keep reducing it. A cada reduïda netegem si hi ha pòsits a sobre i si hi ha greixos. And at the end, you know what we do? In, in each re reduction, we, you know, stir it to, so to pick up all the beads and flavors that are uh, attached to the pan. Per aconseguir, doncs, aquesta demi-glaça, aquest, aquest mirall només, doncs, de les verdures. To obtain this uh, demi-glaça, which in a way it's like a mirror of all the flavors of the vegetables. Val a dir que per aconseguir aquest ros, naturalment, que hem enrossit les verdures. Però si ens passem amb l'enrossit, tindríem aquí un defecte quasi bé de regalèssia, d'una pega dolça, amargants, que això sí que seria un defecte. That uh, we have to be care very careful here, because if we keep reducing it, or if the, the, toasting, the toasting of the vegetables has not been done properly, we would end up with a default, which, uh, with a fault, which would be to have a licorice type of flavor in our mouth, and that's something that we don't want. Reservem i ara ja procedirem a fer el brou vegetal per fer aquests, aquesta fideuada semi-vegetal. So we're going to reduce it and then we're going to make the, the vegetable broth to make this quasi-vegetarian fideuat. Bé, començarem doncs una altra vegada amb aquest bodegó, el bodegó doncs de, dels vegetals, de la pastanaga, del porro, de la ceba, del buquer garni. Uh, so we're going to start again with our another still life, with the carrots, uh, leeks, buquer garni. 
onions. En aquest cas sí que hi tindrem sal, quan a l'altre no la dèiem glaç, en cap moment l'hem salada, perquè aquest abstracte seria immenjable. Aquí farem un caldo i aquí sí que hi tenim sal. Aquí tenim també oli, aquí tenim, evidentment, si hem de fer un brou, hi tenim aigua. We have olive oil, and of course, if we're going to make a broth, we need water. Per tant, ja ho posarem en una olla, fer-hi un sofregit, un daurat molt més lleuger. So we're going to put it in a pot, and we're going to achieve a much, much lighter sofrito. Salem, ja hi posem també un punt de pebre. We salted it, and a little bit of pepper as well. Posem també el toquet de xerès, molt poc. A little bit of xerès, just a tiny bit. Posem l'aigua. Water. I en aquest cas bullirà només 30 minuts, ha de ser un brou lleuger. And in this case it's just going to boil for 30 minutes, it's going to be like a light broth. Colem. Going to strain it. Reservem. Keep it. Tornem a colar molt més net amb drap per poder treure pòsits i greixos. So we do another straining, this time using cheesecloth. I ja reservem el brou net. Llavors sí que la cirereta d'aquesta etapa seria el llagostí, mostrarem el llagostí. El llagostí que li donarem aquest tractament de treure de pelar-la, de tenir la cua, la cua neta, evidentment, i estirant l'intestí. So we're going to do, we're going to peel it, obviously, and the other thing that's very, very important, we're going to devein it. Obert per sota, obert per sota, per disposar de la pigmentació de sobre sense immaculada, sense tallar-la, o sigui, per sota, obert, per disposar de tot el pigment ben pla. That what we're going to do is we're going to cut on the underneath So the idea is to, on, the, on top to conserve the pigmentation, the very nice pigmentation that it has, while in the bottom is completely white. Per tant, ja li farem també una reacció de mallar molt lleugera sobre una planxa de crom, molt lleugera, perquè, esclar, ens el podríem carregar aquest producte, ha de ser volta i volta, però sí que hi farem un pèl més de temps per la banda pigmentada, per aixecar-li el color. So what we're going to do is we're going to griddle, but it's just going to be turned on both sides very, very quickly, because obviously we don't want to overcook it. And the only thing is that what we do is we cook it more on the pigmented side, so to bring up the reds and the, the color that it already has. El color i també el sabor, l'aixequem molt més el sabor. Not only, not, only the, not only the color, but the flavor as well. We bring up the flavor. Reservem aquest producte entornat sobre ell mateix i fixat amb uns escuradents perquè, doncs, per mantenir la forma. So what we do is we reserve the, the final product and uh, To keep the shape, what we do is we use some toothpick, so it's round. I ja els reservem amb una safata de forn perquè al moment de treure'l pogueu escalfar. O sigui, ja els tenim a punts de servir. Ara anem ja a fer la fideuada. So what we put them is in an oven plater, so then at the last moment we can put them in the oven for a second. Let's make the fideuada, now the pasta. Per tant, el bodegó de la fideuada, que seria ja els fideus de cabell d'àngel, que és aquest fideu finet que ens dona la reacció típica dels mariners, i hem tallat les verdures del voltant, en aquest cas hi ha carbassó, tallades a la mateixa mida que el fideuada 
video de cabell d'àngel. So here we have the angel hair, uh, the angel hair uh, pasta and see that we cut it in very very small pieces and we've done exactly the same thing with all the vegetables to match exactly the size of the pasta. And uh, here we have, besides the usual suspects, we have some zucchini as well. Cada una d'aquestes vegetals el tractarem per separat. Per tant, hi haurà un efecte mallar, no conjunts, sinó per separat, perquè cadascun també necessita un temps diferent. So we're going to do is we're going to treat them to the, uh, their own mallar reaction because, uh, you know, I think that in a way it's more respectful to their own uh, idiosyncrasies and their own needs. Some of them need more time, some others need less. Per tant, començarem per aquest all tendre, el saltejarem. Let's start with the tender garlic. Saltejarem una mica més. Sauté del bet, a little bit more. I ja el reservarem en aquest punt daurat. And then at this point, when it's golden, we're going to keep it that way, you know, reserve it. Farem el mateix amb la pastanaga. The same thing with carrots. Una mica més daurada. A little bit more. I ja reservada daurada. And then we'll reserve it at this point. Farem el mateix amb el porro. The same thing with leeks. Una mica més torrat. A little bit more. I ja el reservem. And then we, we farem el mateix, it. farem el mateix amb el carbassó. The same thing with zucchini. Una mica més. A little bit more. I ja el reservem. And then we can keep. Farem el mateix amb els fideus. The same thing with the pasta, the angel hair. Una mica més arroz. A little bit more. I reservem. And then, yeah, we i ara, I ara sí que ja els unim, ja es troben junts tots a la paella. And then at this point we can unite them. We can put them back all together in the, in the pan in the paella. És el moment de salpebrar-ho. It's time to add some salt and pepper. Pebre, la sal. Salt. Incorporarem aquell brou que hem fet tan net. And we're going to bring the very clean uh, broth that we made. Molt curt, molt poc. Very short, very little, very little broth. Ha d'anar al foc marxant a molt ritme, quasi bé a sec. El cooking very, very, you know, very little, you know, very, very slow uh, heat. Han d'entrar després a forn. Then we put them in the oven. Molt poc temps, perquè, perquè hi ha entrat ja quasi bé amb el brou tot reduït entre el forn només dos minuts. Yes, because as you see, there is almost no broth, so it's going to be there for only two minutes. I és quan s'aconsegueix aquesta forma de que els fideus, doncs... And, and by doing that, uh, that's when the, the pasta stands up, sticks up. Cal ara ja doncs aquelles boles que teníem reservades escalfar-les només un minut a 190 graus. And then the reserve shrimp, the, the shrimp balls that we had reserved, we're going to just uh, heat them up for one minute at 190 uh, degrees Celsius. I ja és el moment de servir aquest rossejat. And then we can plate the, the fideuat. Aquesta sí que serà ja una tapa de, de, de forquilla. Per tant, en el platet... So, this tapa, for, to eat this tapa, we're going to need a fork. So, that's the dish. I afegim els fideus. The pasta. I afegim la bola de llagostí calenta. Del warm shrimp. Pintem amb, la, amb l'endèmic glaç que hem fet de vegetals. So, we... Brush it with the demi-glace, with the, the vegetarian demi-glace that we made. I hi falta només ja la punta de sal. Ja tenim la segona tapa. And uh, at the end it just needs a tiny bit of salt and then we have the second tapa. Vale. Anem ara ja per la tercera tapa. <laughs> let's go... Let's... Let's move on to the third tapa. 
La tercera etapa són migues monteres. La miga no és pas de la nostra zona, és de la zona més sur d'Espanya. Hi ha tècniques de fer-ho amb pa i de fer amb farina. Aquesta la farem amb pa. Migues, and that's the next etapa. Migues do not come from Catalonia, they come from southern Spain, and there are several ways to make migues. People make it with flour or bread. In our case, we're going to make it with bread. És un plat que es fa abundant, generalment quan es fa a cacera, i és un plat que diuen que és un plat que l'ha de fer un home, perquè si ha de fer plat per 20 o per 30 persones, com a mínim, per fer-ne per 3 o 4, com a mínim hi ha un treball d'una hora i mitja, sense parar de remenar. És un dish que ve de les muntanyes, és un dish de caçar, And it's said that only a man can make uh, migas because uh, what happens is that you have to steer the pan for an hour and a half. So you need quite some strong muscles. <laughs> Defenso que és ben bé l'enginy, l'enginy de tenir d'una cuina molt pobra i posar-hi aquella idea de convertir un pa sec en una cosa meravellosa. And the thing that I defend about this dish is that uh, it comes from a very humble cuisine, you know, just slices of bread. From that, it is transformed into something marvelous. Naturalment, que en aquesta cosa meravellosa li cal braç i braç i temps. To make that marvelous, you need arm, arm plus time. N'hem portat un petit tast. No n'hi haurà per tothom, però n'hem portat un tast. We brought some tasting. Unfortunately, we don't have enough for everybody. Bé, comencem pels productes. El producte és aquest pa candeal. Let's start with ingredients. The ingredient, obviously the star, it's that bread, which is called candeal bread. El pa candeal es distingeix, doncs, és sempre fet amb una farina molt bona i amb molt poc llevat. This bread is made with a very good flour, but very little yeast. Per tant, la bombolla de la fermentació és molt petita. The bubbles of fermentation are very, very, very small. I la crosta, encara que sigui rossa, és molt i molt fina, no és dura. And the crust, even if it looks golden or brown almost, it's very, very thin. It's not a tough crust at all. De fet, la gràcia d'aquest plat és aprofitar un pa quan s'ha fet sec. O sigui que encara doble bona idea, no? La idea després d'aquest dish és de fer-ho amb bread brat, you know, stale bread, today old bread. Anem pel bodegó. Let's start with the still life. Bé, el bodegó, perquè es vegi el gran protagonisme del pa, en aquest cas són 300 grams d'aquest pa candeal, sec i desengrunat, trencat. So, obviously, the star is the candeal bread, and we have 300 grams of that, and it's bread that has been, no, how we could call it, probably shredded, shredded, sliced very, you know, but almost shredded. 800 grams d'una bona aigua. 800 grams of a very good water. 150 grams d'un pebre roig fresc, picat. 150 grams of red pepper, fresh red pepper. I en canvi en 4 grams d'un pebre roig, d'un pimenton. And 4 grams of dry pepper, in this case pimenton and sweet pimenton, not smoke. 30 grams d'all. 30 grams of garlic. 10 de sal. 10 grams of salt. 100 d'oli. 100 grams of oil. És un plat d'una terra d'oli. És normal que sigui d'alusia, d'una terra d'oli. And it's a 
a dish that comes from an olive oil country. So that's why it's used very much. Començarem doncs per aquest oli per escalfar l'oli. Let's uh, let's heat up the olive oil. Per enrossidir l'all una altra vegada ja l'efecte aquest mallar per enrossidir l'all. To brown the the garlic again another mallar reaction. Per afegir-hi ja el pebre al pebrot roig. And then we're going to add the red pepper. Per continuar sofregint. And we're going to keep the sofrido going. I controlar aquell aroma, aquell aquell color i aquell aroma que ja marca l'ambient and uh, to control that, uh, that, that smell, that aroma, that already tells you when you know, it's ready. Salem. Salt. Afegim el pebre vermell. We add the, the pimenton. Amb molta cura, perquè es podria cremar fàcilment. Very, very, very carefully, because you could burn it easily. Afegim l'aigua. We add the water. I afegim el pa. And then the bread. Clar, a l'afegir el pa, la propera, queda una pasterada. <laughs> The, so when we add bread, the thing that you end up is with a paste. You know? Sí, una pasterada gens atractiva. Which is not attractive at all. Aquí comença, aquí comença el treball del braç. Here it's when the arm uh, kicks in. Sense parar de remenar, perquè és clar, lo bosc es vagi fent soleres, deshidratant i anar-les forçant de sobre sota. So the idea is to do that, you know, to, to toss it up and down, you know, and that there is like a crust on the bottom and then you turn it up and continue doing that. Continuar treballant. Continue working on, on Continuar on treballant. That. And again. <laughs> Fins arribar ja a aquesta mida, aquesta mida ja rossa, solta. That, uh, to, to the point that you get to this miga, which is the name of the, the dish. And uh, in Spanish, miga means crumbs as well. And it's already loose. It's a little loose, yeah. Ara sí que ja, ja restaria muntar la tapa. And then at this point, what you need to do is to just plate the... the per arrodonir-les, per fer aquesta cullerada de tapa que tingui contrast, fem una mica de grassa ibèrica i una mica picada de pansa de Màlaga. So to bring some contrast, what we do is we heat up some uh, pork, uh, Iberian pork fat and some uh, uh, raisins, Màlaga raisins. Sense gens d'oli, l'oli ja les porta les migues. Without oil, the migues have enough oil. I afegim, I afegim les migues. We add the migues. Li donem una volta per la paella. So we, we stir it for a second. I anem a muntar la tapa a la cullera. Let's play it on this spoon. Servim, la, servim les migues controlant que hi vagi greix i que hi vagi pansa. We serve the migas, making sure that there is some uh, raisins and some uh, pork fat. I afegim ja el contrast d'un raïm fresc. And we add, uh, for contrast, uh, a fresh, you know, grape. I una punta de sal. And a little bit of salt. I ja està llesta la tapa. And the, the tapa is ready. <laughs> Merci. Fem ja la, la, la quarta etapa, la quarta etapa que en aquest aperitiu serien les postres. And the, the fourth etapa, as remember that we discussed at the beginning, it's going to be dessert. El, la etapa és polvoron. The, the etapa is called polvoron. Polvoron és una, és una peça, és unes, unes postres, és un divertiment que s'ofereix principalment per Nadal. It's a, polvoron is a type of dessert, it's like a, let's use the word divertimento, that it's just used uh, or served around Christmas. Uh, la gràcia, una altra vegada, és un producte tan senzill com una farina the, amb un greix de porc. The, the, the thing about here is like something using like very simple ingredients like uh, 
like wheat uh, flour and, uh, and pork fat. Mm -hmm. Sí, sucre i una mica d'ametlla. A little bit of sugar and almonds. Uh, en aquest cas, doncs, uh, va molt poc fornejat. No es podria dir que és una galeta perquè és trencadissa, només és molt fràgil, només agafar el dit s'esmicola, potser per això es diu polverón. And the, uh, what we, you know, and the thing, it just goes in the oven for a second, but we cannot call it a cookie because the moment that you grab it, it falls apart. And that's why it's called polvorón. Let's, let's, let's explain that the word polvo in Spanish means pow powder, so that's probably, you know, does, does the name, yeah. Bé, doncs aquest, eh, evidentment que no podríem pas donar nosaltres per un aperitiu un polvoron dolç, per això hem fet un polvoron salpabrat. I aquí ha vingut la complexitat d'afegir amb un producte que porta greix, que porta farines torrades, a farina i sal, que ho altera, li fa una transformació. Per això l'hem hagut de fer aquest polvoron a diari, a diari, a diari. The, the thing, the, our challenge here is that obviously since it's part of an appetizer before the, the main dish is kicking, that uh, we couldn't offer something sweet. So what we do is we add a little bit of uh, salt and a little bit of pepper to, you know, to prepare the palate for things to come, not something extremely sweet. Uh, but that's a challenge for us because the moment that you have uh, a flour and the moment that you have a l l fat, if you add salt, then you have to keep making the same, uh, the same mixture every, every and every day because if not, it becomes rancid. Començarem, doncs, ensenyant el que és el bodegó. El bodegó, això seria ja el clàssic. Aquest seria el clàssic, sense posar-hi res especial. Ja seria, doncs, el doble porta, el doble de farina de blat, 500 de farina de blat, 250 d'ametlla. Aquí és l'estil life for this dish, and uh, it is like the classic uh, polvoron. So it's uh, 500 grams of uh, regular wheat flour and 250 of almond flour. 250 de greix de porc. 250 of uh, pork fat i 30 de sucre llustre. And the 30 of confectioner sugar. I ara ve l'altra, la complexitat que hem posat nosaltres. Aquí ha vingut la dificultat que per això ho hem hagut de fer a diari, perquè és clar, l'hem espaciat. I l'hem espaciat posant-hi 6 grams de sal. And then here's our problem that uh, we've spiced it up and uh, so that's why we have to make it daily. So we, it has uh, 6 grams of salt. 2 grams de ratlladura de llimona. 2 grams of lemon zest. I hem posat una mica de caiena, 0,1 gram de caiena. 0,1 grams of cayenne pepper. 0,4 de pebre de jamaica. 0,4 of uh, Jamaican pepper. I 0,8 de pebre rosa. And uh, 0,8 of uh, green peppercorn. Uh, no, sorry, pink peppercorn. Per tant, començarem doncs, ja a treballar-ho. Hem de torrar les farines, tant la farina de blat com la farina d'ametlla, a 190 graus i anar-les movent perquè es quedin ben torrades. So let's start working and the first thing that we're going to do is we are going to roast the both flowers, the, the wheat flour and the almond flour at uh, 190 uh, degrees Celsius and we're going to keep tossing them and stirring them so they become nicely and toasted. El resultat de la, de la farina de blat torrada. That's the result of the wheat flour. El resultat de la d'ametlla. That's, that's the result of the almond flour. I començarem ja a fer la a pastar-ho, a amassar-ho. Uh, començarem amassant el greix amb el sucre. And then we're going to start kneading, kneading all, all the ingredients. So we're going to start mixing the fat, the pork fat, with the sugar i afegim en aquesta pastada les espècies. Then to this uh, paste we add the spices. 
i afegim les farines torrades. And then we add the, the toasted uh, flowers. I amassem conjunt, conjunt d'una manera homogènia, d'una manera pastada i ben unida. And we kneel it and kneel it until it becomes a homogeneous uh, paste unified. Mostrem la textura obtinguda. That's the texture that we obtain at that point. I ja la reservem, l'hem de reservar en un motlle i apretar-la, ben premsar-la. And what we need is to need to put it in a mold and then we have to press it. L'hem de ben apretar perquè no hi hagi espais dolç d'aire, perquè no s'esmicoli, perquè la gràcia és que s'esmicoli però que, que la puguem agafar sense desfer-la, ben premsat. We don't, like, uh, we don't want to have uh, bubbles, air bubbles or air uh, in between it because obviously then it would fall apart and the idea is that yes, it has to fall apart but inside of your mouth. Una vegada premsat es deixa reposar. Once pressed, we let it pressed. Reposa a la nevera and it rest in the refrigerator. Per poder tallar-la a la mida, a la mida desitjada, pots fer, es pot fer la moll a la, la mida que un vol. Generalment són rodons, en aquest cas nostre, que és una tapeta molt petita, per això hem decidit tallar-ho a, a quadradets. And then you can once it has rested, then you can, you know, we proceed to cutting it, but cutting it you can cut whatever shape or form that you like. Uh, traditionally they are served round, but in our case, since it's just a little tapa and uh, for an appetizer, what we did is like little squares. Aquesta seria doncs la mida, la mida del, del tall. So that's our size, uh, you know, serving size. I se li ha de fer doncs una altra torrada, un altre efecte mallar. Ha d'entrar al forn no per quedar torrat, sinó per fer només una crosta, per sellar-lo, per fer-hi només una paret. And then we, you know, we induce another, uh, another mallar reaction, we bring it to the oven for a second, not to cook it or to toast it, but just to seal it, you know, so it has like, it develops like a, like a very nice crust. Es, es pot observar ja per la, pel forn, 190 graus, 5 minuts, no? És ben bé només entrar i sortir, és molt poc temps. So you can see it here in the image, it's 190 degrees Celsius for only 5 minutes, it's like, 5 minuts, has dit? 5, 5 minuts, minuts, sí. 5 uh, minuts, so it's in and out. I uh, aconseguim, doncs, ja aquesta, aquesta uniformitat de, dels polvorons rossos. And so that's the uniform uh, final product. I anem ja a preparar la presentació per entregar-lo, per entregar-lo ja que tingui l'efecte de polvoró, que generalment sempre porta paper doncs, de seda, de serrellets. So, you know, and then to plate it, but in this case it's a little bit more complex because obviously polvorones usually they come with silk paper and uh, with, you know, laces to be served. Per tant, per fer la presentació, primer hi farem una embolicada amb un paper sulfuritzat perquè no ens taqui el paper de seda. Then, obviously, the first wrap is going to be with parchment paper, so it doesn't stain the nice paper that we're going to put afterwards. I com que el tema anava de color marró, hem escollit un color de seda marró. Then, uh, since the theme was brown and brown color, we've chosen a brown silk paper. Emboliquem. We wrap it. We wrap I it up. I aquesta seria doncs ja la presentació del, del polvoró. And that's going to be the presentation for a polvoron. I aquí doncs ara ja podem repassar els quatre, els quatre aperitius que hem fet. Hem fet doncs la, la, peça, la peça del bombó líquid de, d'all, hem so, fet el rossejat, hem fet les migues, hem fet el polvoron. So here we have the, you know, recapitulation of all the things that we've done and the menu. Uh, we've done the roasted garlic uh, cream, we've done the fideuat, Uh, with shrimp and with the migas and then the polvoron. 
I, naturalment, ja dir-los que es pot fer això perquè hi ha un col·lectiu professional que treballa format, que treballa amb il·lusió, que treballa amb la voluntat d'oferir un ple gastronòmic a taula. I, evidentment, volem dir i finir dient que tot això és possible perquè tenim un equip maravillós, un equip dedicat, staff that comes there to learn and that they have lots of dedication and the ultimate goal is to bring like a into your tables like a like a good gastronomic experience. Volem que la nostra taula sigui més que menjar i el més que menjar és aquesta emoció doncs dels sentits. And uh, we want that uh, that in our tables it's more like an eating act is like a, you know eating plus all your senses come together que hi ha molta cultura, hi ha molta creació i molta recreació. I principalment en aquest color marró que els l'hem volgut dedicar a vosaltres. I especialment en aquest color marró que els volíem dedicar a Harvard. Gràcies. Si hi ha algun així... Karma would love to take some questions. So we should particularly thank her because her plane was cancelled yesterday, so she's just arrived. So it's really nice of her to give a talk. But maybe we won't keep her too long. But maybe a few questions. Good morning, Dona. Gracias por venir. Good porque tu viaje se va a cancelar y se va a tardar. Hello, I'm terrified to ask you this question, and if possible, and it's heretical, forgive me. What if we cannot eat pork fat? Is there any other possibility? Why is it that we can? If we cannot, oh, if we cannot eat, eat, okay, okay, okay. Que la pregunta, que la pregunta que et vol fer és, perdona si tu fa no així, no? Però és si per les persones que no poden menjar greix de porc, si hi ha una altra possibilitat, un altre substitut. Clar, el polvoron naturalment neix d'una cuina pobra, d'una cuina de tenir greix. Si es fa la mateixa tècnica amb una mantega, ja seria d'una categoria altíssima. El problema amb això és que el polvoron, per exemple, ve d'una molt humble cuisina. Si vols substituir porc fat per butter, diguem, it would be like a very elegant cuisine. It would change a little bit the terms. El gust també seria un altre, però boníssim, eh? Segur. The flavor would be a different one. Very good, though. You know, but it would be different. Hi. I had the absolute pleasure of eating in your restaurant in Tokyo over the summer. I went for lunch, and it was honestly a... Fue una experiencia gastronómica excelente. Excellent. And I just had a question about some of your uh, molecular cuisine you use. I had a piece of tapas, I remember, from your micro menu, uh, which I think was stonefish with what appeared to be a little red pepper on top. But when you put the pepper in your mouth, it burst into what appeared to be a spherified emulsion of red pepper. And I was wondering, is, is this something that you bring into your menu a lot? 
que el va tenir el gran ple d'estar a Tòquio i de menjar al teu restaurant i que va ser una experiència culinària increïble i que un dels menjars, i parlar una mica de la cuina molecular, si podem utilitzar aquest nom, un dels peixos que va menjar va ser un peix pedra amb una mica de pebre per sobre vermell i que quan el menjava explotava la boca com una esferificació del pebre vermell i que explotava la boca i si penses utilitzar-ho més o és alguna cosa que et dediques a la teva cuina. La tècnica, la tècnica que utilitzem nosaltres, aquesta rebentar, o sigui, una de les tapes, la de l'all, era aquesta de crear una crema i després crear-li una pell perquè t'exploti. No és la tècnica que es fa servir, doncs, generalment amb la cuina molecular. És una tècnica molt més senzilla, aquesta, molt més natural. Però jo estic a favor totalment de les tècniques noves. Penso que la cuina és precisament un art o una professió amb constant evolució. Per tant, hem d'estar tots molt oberts amb tot el que aparegui. Però aquest és un camí molt natural i molt directe, fins i tot el que va provar a Tòquio. Sí, evidentment, quan veus alguna cosa similar aquí, hem utilitzat la crema de carlí, però això va ser fet en una manera més tradicional. Però estic molt forward molecular de cuina, i penso que la cuina és una cosa que evolucionarà tot el temps, i és com un path, towards the future, you know, so I'm very much towards that, you know, and obviously you tasted that in Tokyo, but what we do back home, it's something a little bit more traditional. Thank you. M'agradaria felicitar a la cuinera per fer un dinar tan bo i dir als concurrents que en Espanya es menja molt bé perquè ella ha fet plats del nord de Catalunya, ha fet plats del centre d'Espanya i plats de la part meridional del sur d'Espanya. M'agradaria també preguntar què recomanaria per veure. Per veure. Per veure. Entenc el meu català. Per veure. Espera un moment, espera un moment. Let me interpret this. You know, I want to, you know, to congratulate the Catalan chef and, you know, I have to say that in Spain you eat very, very well and, you know, I love your cuisine because you've done dishes from everywhere in Spain, from, you know, from the center of Spain towards obviously the Mediterranean region to southern, the meridional part, the southern part of Spain. And my question, in a way, is with such an incredible food, what would you recommend to drink? to go along with the food. Bé, jo li he de dir que evidentment no és que Espanya es menja molt bé i precisament en aquests moments que encara està més en balsa, per una raó molt gran jo diria que perquè els que estan als fogons s'ho creuen i volen i els que estan a la sala exigeixen i esperen. Això, començant per aquí. Let's start with that. I think that, yes, you're right, that in Spain we are, you know, people eat very well for two reasons, I think, but because the people behind the stoves are very much believing it. And, you know, and I think that are very much believing it and, you know, and feeling it. And at the same time, I think that because the people, the people in the dining room are expecting that level, you know, and I think it goes both ways. Let's start with that. Però, precisament, el mateix sector vinícola està creixent al mateix nivell que la cuina, 
The same thing with, it could be said about wineries. I think that they are growing at the same level as the cuisine, you know, is, is, is evolving. Llavors, com que hem fet tot aquest repàs a la península Ibèrica, jo li diria, home, ja que hem fet tanta barreja, posem-hi un cava i estarem contents els de Catalans, eh? That since, that, since, that since we've done so many mixes in our cuisine and all of that, my idea would say let's bring some cava so that in that way you'll make uh, many Catalans happy. Uh, I have a question about the uh, third dish you prepared. Why do you use that particular type of bread? Um, and what sort of um, features of bread would make that uh, a better dish or what would take away from the dish? That, uh, la pregunta que tinc és del tercer plat que has fet, de les migues, sí? i per què has utilitzat aquest tipus particular de bread? En quina, de pa, sí. en quina, en quina, manera, en quina manera el fa sí. millor o en quina mm. manera altres el farien pitjor? Sí. Uh, naturalment, que estem convençuts que és el millor per una raó molt clara. Quan vàrem començar a fer-ho, vàrem fer-ho amb un pa blanc i ens va quedar bé. Però llavors està treballant amb nosaltres un, un noi que és d'Extremadura, que és de la zona aquesta, i ens va dir ens quedarà molt millor si ve aquest pa. Vàrem comprar, vàrem demanar que d'Extremadura portessin pa candeal, vàrem quedar tan impressionats del, del bon resultat que cada setmana, durant tot aquest mes d'octubre, ha arribat una caixa de pa candeal des d'Extremadura. The thing is that we started making it with white bread, and you know, we're happy with the results. And then one of the staff in the kitchen, he comes from Extremadura, which is that region where uh, migas come from, the dish. And he said, you know, you should try the candel bread and uh, you know, you'll see that uh, the dish can be improved by just using this bread. So uh, for the whole month of October, every week we have been receiving a box full of uh, mm -hmm. candel bread from Extremadura and uh, using it for that dish. So uh, I think in the first dish you uh, browned the garlic and then you browned the pine nuts. Was it in the same oil or did you change the oil and uh, is it fresh and does it matter? That amb el primer amb el primer plat que has fet, sí. has saltat els el sí. el el l'all i els pinyons i era amb el mateix oli o sí. has canviat d'oli? No, 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 el mateix. O sigui, no. es tracta de de fer l'oli l'all amb l'oli, i mm -hmm. quan fem la mixtura mm -hmm. fem l'oli perfumat d'all, l'all, el pinyó torrat i l'aigua. Okay. No, it's the same oil. It's exactly sí, sí. the same oil. Sí, sí. So that's the point, you know, to bring all these flavors together, you know, the, the garlic plus the perfumes of the, the pine nuts and then mixing that together with the water, yeah. Um, hello. Uh, thank you for coming. Uh, I'm a student in the class and I uh, really enjoyed your presentation. Um, I have a question about, um, I guess, about the differences between your two restaurants. Um, obviously, they're in very different locations, and uh, I was wondering if um, uh, there's any difference in the uh, type of, or in the manner of presentation, or the type of food you serve, uh, and also what are the challenges of uh, serving for and designing dishes for two such different audiences. Hola y bienvenida. Un estudiante, soy un estudiante aquí en la clase i que et volia preguntar els dels restaurants que tens que evidentment són a llocs molt diferents mm. i són si pots explicar una mica les diferències que hi han sí. i si és mm. realment un repte per tu de dissenyar sí. de, de preparar menjar mm. per dos, mm. dos locals geogràfics tan mm -hmm. diferents, sí. no tan diversos. Evidentment això té una explicació eh, quan doncs sorgeix un Sant Pau o Sant Pol de Mar amb personalitat i amb la identitat del producte d'entorn. Yeah, that uh, obviously it has an explanation. The first one is in San uh, in San um, San Paul, 
and the name of the place is San Pau, the restaurant, and obviously the personality comes from the environment, isn't it? From the, from the very strong geography next to it. El repte arriba quan ve una persona, en el cas nostre, un empresari japonès que té una quarantena d'establiments a aquella ciutat i ens proposa fer una còpia de Sant Pau a Tòquio. Then the, the challenge for us came the moment that an, uh, a Japanese empresario <laughs> knocked at our door, someone that has 40 uh, restaurants in Japan, and asked us to bring Sao Pao, the, the, place that we, the type of restaurant that we have in Sao Pao, bring it to Tokyo. That's the challenge. Yeah. La primera, la primera vegada que t'ho proposen, penses, és ximple, no li dius pas, però penses, és boig. That, that, uh, the first time that mm. he proposes that, you think it's crazy, you don't say that to him, but you think that it's crazy. <laughs> Perquè, esclar, és molt lluny, Tòquio, no? Yeah, because quite, it's quite far, you know, from... Però aquest home, doncs, es va, es va entossudir fins que ens invita a que visitem Tòquio i veiem com treballen. And, but, uh, unfortunately, that man became obtuse and to the point that he invited us to go to Tòquio and to see how they work there. Clar. Ell sabia que si coneixíem, doncs, si ens n'adonàvem com treballaven amb la manera pulcra que treballen i amb la qualitat dels, ali dels aliments, clar, ens enamoraríem i així es va ser. That uh, he knew, I think that I suspect that he knew that the moment that we saw the quality and the neatness of all the ingredients and the, the, the way that, that they work so meticulous, that we would fall in love with, with that and that's what happened. Vàrem quedar impressionats, impressionats d'un uh, país on pots menjar a peu de carrer qualitat i pots menjar doncs, en, en un espai que sembla fins i tot uh, un santuari i també impecable igual. Per tant, vàrem quedar uh, abduïts d'aquella yeah. cuina. We were very impressed, you know, the moment that we went there, in, you were impressed about the country where you can have, you can go from having street food, incredible street food, to very high quality food that it's served in an incredible surrounding, it's almost like a sanctuary. El repte arriba quan llavors aquella persona diu ho farem com diguis i com vulguis. Then uh, the, the challenge, obviously, when that person told me, you know, we're going to make it the, when you want and the way that you want. Clar. Llavors, si et donen, et posen a la teva mà tenir totes les eines per fer-ho, cal que, clar, que de dir, escolta, puc? Que et plantegis puc? Yeah, that, uh, then, obviously, if they keep gives you all the tools to do it, you know, then uh, the question that you have in your mind is, can I? Bé, si, si jo puc, és perquè conto, doncs, el Jerome hi ha estat quatre anys a Tòquio, hi ha estat quatre anys dirigint la cuina de Tòquio, és comptar amb gent que treballa amb tu, que té el talent, que té la capacitat i que té la voluntat d'anar-hi. Then, uh, you know, obviously, if I say yes, I can, uh, then what I have to do is I have to come with people like Jerome, which has spent four years working and directing the place in Tòquio, and the people that have the, the talent and the perseverance uh, to be there during that time and, you know, make things work. Per tant, per fer, per fer un treball d'aquestes característiques, cal comptar amb gent que sent la mateixa passió i el mateix rigor que tu. That, uh, then, to, to make that work, you have to count on people that they have the same passion and the same rigor as, as you have. En el cas de Tòquio tenim una sort perquè anem amb les mateixes temporades. Quan fem hivern a Sant Pol, també fem hivern a Tòquio. That, uh, the luck that we have in Tokyo is that we share the same seasons. So when we cook winter food in uh, Sant Pol, we cook winter food in Tòquio as well. Llavors és un copi exacte la carta, és un copi. Per exemple, aquest efecte mallar que nosaltres l'hem donat a l'octubre, ells el donaran al novembre. And then, the, copy, and then the, the menu is a copy, exactly a copy. So that the micro menu that we discussed today, the Maillard Reaction micro menu, 
that we serve in October in Tokyo is going to be served in November. El producte fresc sempre és del mercat de japonès, el producte fresc sempre és japonès? That the fresh produce it's uh, the, the old ingredients come from uh, the Japanese markets, only Japanese markets. D'Espanya hi arriben doncs vins, formatges, olis, pernil, embotit, and, productes elaborats. And uh, from Spain what we send is like uh, made in products like uh, like wine, cheeses, olive oil, but not raw materials. Llavors tenim un cuiner que cada temporada va amb la amb el amb la carta nova de temporada, arriba, l'ensenya, l'estrena i torna, o sigui, han quatre viatges per anar a portar cada carta. And then uh, what we have at the time is like we have a cook that goes there every season and that goes there and teaches the new menu to the staff and you know and they preview it and then they go, you know, live with a new menu and obviously that person goes there four times a year, one per season. I un contacte diari amb el chef de Tòquio. And obviously uh, besides that it, it uh, entails a daily daily conversation with the chef in Tòquio. Aquesta és la fórmula. That's the formula. <laughs> Llavors arriba més tard un, una, una altra proposta des, des de Barcelona. And then after that we receive a, uh, an offer from Barcelona this time. Uh, una uh, des de l'Hotel Mandarin Oriental. From the Mandarin Oriental Hotel in Barcelona. Evidentment doncs que el que volien és aquesta personalitat que arrenca d'una cuina local. That, okay. O sigui, volen, volien la mateixa cuina yep. que, que el Sant Pau, okay. que, que arrenca d'una cultura local, d'una yep. cultura molt, molt comarcal. That they wanted the same type of cuisine that has roots in a very, very local, uh, you know, geography. A Barcelona sí que donaran també aquesta, aquest aperitiu de Mallar el donaran el mes de novembre. That in uh, Barcelona as well they're going to offer that Mallar uh, aperitif, a tasting menu, in November as well. O sigui, sempre, Sant Pol, sempre anem a l'avançada, sempre so, fem l'estrena. Sant Pol is always the first one, the one that goes ahead, the, tri the trailblazer. Els productes, els productes frescos eh, que comprem a Sant Pol arriben a Barcelona, porten, treballen el mateix producte. So the fresh mm, produce that uh, we get at, uh, in Sant in uh, Pol makes it to Barcelona as well, they use the same ingredients as we do. Però a Barcelona sí que hi ha una altra feina afegida, que, el que eh, hi ha només 45 quilòmetres. No volem tenir la mateixa carta. Per tant, hi ha el mateix producte, però amb una altra recepta. That, uh, then, uh, the, other, the, the tricky part with Barcelona is that remember that Barcelona is only 45 minutes from Sant Pol, so what we don't want is to duplicate the menu. We want to have the same ingredients, but a different menu. So that's a challenge. I així funcionem. Una altra vegada, doncs, contacte també diari. So, again, you know, talking to them every day, that's the formula. Um, yes, um, my husband and I had great pleasure and honor to dine in St. Pau uh, two years mm -hmm. ago, and it was absolutely, Chef, the most extraordinary meal we've ever had. In fact, my husband proposed to you afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> proposed to her? After 35 years, <laughs> that was true. Um, I was wondering, um, do, twofold, two questions. Do you have any thoughts of opening a restaurant here in the United States? <laughs> and how do you see your cuisine evolving in the future? And what would you like to do? Que el, que el, 
no sé ben bé si m'ha dit si va proposar tu o va proposar amb ella, per això no està clar, però és igual. Però el que... Però el que... La primera pregunta és si penses obrir un restaurant aquí als Estats Units i la segona és de quina manera veus la teva cuina que creixerà o que... Quina evolució tindrà la teva cuina, tal com ho veus ara? Bé, la proposta... Vàrem tenir una vegada una proposta dels Estats Units, eh? Una vegada la vàrem tenir. We had one proposal, one... Not marriage, but one proposal from the United States. Sí, la vàrem tenir. El que hem de tenir clar és que aquesta cuina que treballem nosaltres, que es basa en un producte natural i de tanta qualitat, i amb tant d'estar a ferradera, si una persona que ens ve a buscar només el motiva l'acció comercial, mai arribarem a bon port. La cosa que hem de considerar, evidentment, és que, fins que creiem tant en els ingredients i la qualitat dels nostres ingredients i els passos que prenem, si algú que volem obrir un lloc només per purament comercial, evidentment, no vam arribar a una safa segura. Hi ha més mòbil al darrere, passional, que econòmic. Mai és un gran negoci un restaurant gastronòmic. Qui contracta, ho sap, contracta, per exemple, un hotel per prestigi o algú que li fa molta il·lusió tenir aquesta casa. Per exemple, l'empresari japonès, aquests 40 establiments, té des de pizzeries a tratories i té, clar, té el Sant Pau. El Sant Pau no és un negoci com és una pizzeria. That obviously, you know, that people know that when they, you know, when you get a contract, they know it when you're going to open in a hotel that is going to be the most profitable thing. And the Japanese guy knew that as well because he has 40 establishments and some of them range from a pizzeria to a trattoria. Obviously, they make different type of money in the pizzeria that they make with us. Per tant, si vingués una persona dels Estats Units, un empresari dels Estats Units, que el seu mòbil no fos només l'econòmic, l'escoltarem. Si algun empresari ve dels Estats Units, que darrere de l'escena pensa més que només el profit, l'escoltarem. I la segona part, la segona part. La segona part. Mira, vinguent, vinguent avui, quan viatjàvem amb el Jerome, en parlàvem. I estem convençuts que cada vegada serà més plaer fantàstic que a taula puguis menjar-te, potser, mig tomàquet, però un gran tomàquet, no un tomàquet d'aquests que es pot servir d'adorno amb un arbre de Nadal, no, un tomàquet de veritat, amb un oli impecable i amb un gra de sal pura. Cada vegada això emocionarà més. Perquè venim d'una tecnologia d'un tomàquet que avui a l'aeroport ens semblava no sabíem si eren de veritat o eren de mentida, uns olis sense personalitat i una sal potser bruta. Vull dir que és l'essència de la puresa, això és el que ens mou. És una pregunta, perquè avui, quan venim aquí, estàvem discutint això amb Jerome i estàvem pensant que la manera que veiem el nostre futur seria probablement una plata amb un pedaç de tomàquet, no any tomato, a very good tomato, not the tomatoes that you know you get usually they're like almost like a Christmas tree ornaments, but just like a like a good tomato with uh, the best olive oil and a pinch of salt. That's a little bit the way that we see our cuisine, you know, something very simple because that's the environment and that's the background that we come from. And I think that we you know we were at the airport today and they serve some uh, tomatoes for us. And we weren't sure if they were real tomatoes or artificial tomatoes. 
<laughs> so I think that that's the way that we see our future. Bueno, las migas no para todos los que siguen los mis atrevidos y las probaremos a la murciana, eh? en el pot y agafadas directamente. That obviously migas we don't have uh, enough for everybody, but the most daring will get a taste, and uh, or the fastest ones will have a taste. And we're going to eat them murcia style, which means directly from the pot. Okay, so let's uh, thank Karma one more time. And I think there's a few tastes for people who come first. <laughs>